0: Good morning, everyone. I'm reading from Isaiah 49. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel. Israel in which I will display my splendour. But I said, I have laboured in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due to me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am honoured in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. And the second reading is from Matthew 15, I'm starting at verse 20, 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the re- region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied." Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000 men, besides women and children. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan.
1: Wonderful. Thank you, Jenny. Good morning, everyone. Hey, before I start, I got this text message from Jono, right? Hey, Ben, Jono here from the New Zealand wilderness via com. Loving it here. Think I'll stay. (laughs) Guess that means you're in charge. Good luck. (laughs) Six to eight, have a wonderful time as you go off. For everyone else, please do keep your Bibles open at uh, our sermon passage, which is Matthew 15. And I'll uh, lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that you speak to us in your word, the Bible. Please help us now to concentrate despite a sort of muggy morning. Uh, to not let anything get in the way of us uh, trembling and rejoicing at your word and being strengthened in the faith as we do so. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to do something I normally would never do. As uh, a little bit unlike me. We're going to start this morning with a little imagination exercise. And uh, for this to work, no one calls out, no one uh, says anything. It's just all in your own head, right? I want you to all imagine that you're transported miraculously across place and time and you find yourself in the year 32 AD in ancient Palestine and you're walking along a dusty road in the afternoon and you see someone in the distance walking towards you and you know that this person is Jesus, during the time of his earthly ministry in the flesh, Jesus happens to be walking toward you and you have this amazing opportunity to have an audience with him. Now, remember, Jesus knows your thoughts, your words, your deeds. He knows everything about you personally, your strengths, your weaknesses, your successes, your failures. And what I want you to do, I'll give you about 20 seconds to do it, just thinking to yourself... I want you to answer the question, what would Jesus say to you? What do you think Jesus would say to you? Now I've got to say, I'm so impressed. There are some people even with their eyes closed. That is wonderful. You're thinking about what it is that Jesus would say to you in this little imagination exercise as you meet him in 32 AD in in ancient Palestine. Some of you have got something by now might be a little bit confronting, might be wonderful, might be scary, I don't know. All oh, right, that's long enough. Would you believe that I actually know what Jesus would say to the vast majority of us who are here right now? You know what? He would say absolutely nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Unless you happen to be a Jew, an ethnic Israelite, then in all likelihood, he would keep walking by. Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. We might feel a little put off or worried by that, that that's the likely response. But it is. As we go through today's text of Matthew's gospel, I dare say you'll not only come to understand that it is likely, you'll understand that it's also right, but also, would you believe why it is absolutely wonderful that that is Jesus' response and attitude during his earthly ministry? That's a big call, but stay with me, people, we're going to get there. We start off with this fascinating little incident where Jesus meets a woman of great faith and I would say extraordinary humility. Look at me again, verse 21, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, if you know your Bible history and your geography, you know that Tyre and Sidon are kind of far north west of the land of Israel. They were included at one point as part of the promised land, but in Judges, people failed to sort of settle them adequately. And definitely after the Assyrians came and invaded the north, they had not been genuinely Israelite territory. They had loads of Gentiles, both in that area and as rulers of that area. Now, if you remember from last week, Jesus had made himself a bit of a stench in the nostrils of the Pharisees who had come from Jerusalem. And so here we're told he withdraws to what is a very obviously and predominantly non-Jewish area. And that's why it's no surprise that the woman he meets, although she's a God-fearer who's knowledgeable about the Christ, about Israel's Messiah, is not Jewish. She's not an Israelite. She's a Canaanite woman. Verse 22 A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed and suffering terribly. Now that is a huge contrast with last week with the Pharisees from Jerusalem who came to him. And would you believe her approach is actually far better than theirs? It's a great irony that this Canaanite woman, knows to call Jesus Lord, Son of David. In other words, she's already saying, I reckon you're the Christ. A little bit like the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, who had at least more of an idea than some of the Jews that Jesus had just been with. So, given that it's such an ideal approach, we expect this will be a fairly straightforward healing. Jesus will grant her request and say, Your faith is, has made your daughter well. But, verse 23, Jesus did not answer a word. So, his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. And wouldn't any parent when their child's life potentially is in jeopardy, do anything and everything in order, dignity would be irrelevant. Being humiliated would be, you would do anything for the sake of your kid. Of course she keeps crying out after them. And so you think to yourself, aha, maybe Jesus is just setting things up to actually teach his disciples a lesson. He set it up so that his disciples will say, get rid of her and he's gonna say, no, let this woman come to me, you know, like the little children in the kingdom. Maybe that's what he's got in mind. But no, verse 24, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And if you can believe it, in the original language, it's even more emphatic. It reads literally something like, I was sent to none, if not the lost sheep of Israel. That's a very literal translation. But of course, like any parent, in a desperate situation for the sake of their kids, she persists. Verse 25, the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. And again, you've got to say it doesn't get any more ideal than this. This is the absolute best approach anyone can ever have to Jesus. She knows he's the Christ. She identifies him as Lord in humility she kneels before him she knows he has the power to give the healing to get rid of the the demonic possession and that's why we're shocked at the words that follow verse 26 he replied it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs it is not right says jesus i've been sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. So it's not right that I give healing and usher in the Messianic age to those outside of Israel. The woman, in what I can only describe as then tremendous humility, agrees with Jesus. She agrees with him. But she also Adds something to what she knows that Jesus has said as, as being truth. Verse 27 Yes, it is, Lord, she said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. In other words, yes, Jesus, you have been sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, I know that. And that in itself is designed to benefit those, however, who are outside of your holy people. Your being Israel's Messiah will somehow have a flow-on effect for the nations. That's what this woman knows. Now, of course, to put you all at ease, Jesus absolutely knew that this is where this encounter would end up. He knows the thoughts of the woman's heart. He knows where she's at. He knows how it's going to play out. He is the divine son of God after all. And that's why he could orchestrate this whole encounter in order to make this point. But he does it ever so sharply, doesn't he? Hence, verse 28. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And of course, her daughter was healed at that moment. Hence, Jesus very, very sharply and deliberately affirms the notion that Israel receiving her Messiah is something that yet somehow benefits the nations as well. That's why at Christmas time, by the way, we've got that wonderful carol, we all sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. We want that to happen. It's kind of like because we know that that's going to result in, in flow on effect. And Jesus goes on to affirm this idea, but now, rather than just with an individual, He affirms it on a a grand scale. In the next section, instead of crumbs for an individual, we now get basketfuls and a feast for the many. So, from verse 29, Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee... Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Note it doesn't say they praise God. It specifies that they praise the God of Israel. Because from where he had been to where he has, and you've got crowds following him, they are predominantly Gentile crowds, non-Gentile. Jewish people and Jesus is just as happy doing what he'd already been doing in Israel with these non-Gentile crowds who had yet come to the regions that are Jewish, those who would come figuratively if you like to the mountain of the Lord and receive blessing, Isaiah chapter 2, streaming from all nations to God's temple. Everything Jesus does here is what he's already been doing amongst the Jews, but now he's doing it amongst the Gentiles. And Jesus affirms the point of showing that his ministry to Israel will indeed benefit them in just the same way as it benefited the Jews. And so we get this repeat miracle that we saw from two weeks ago, a repeat miracle of the loaves and fish. Same miracle, different variations to, to point out some important things. So from verse 32, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I've compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, we get enough bread at this remote place to feed such a crowd. Hopefully this is starting to sound very familiar to you, given what we saw two chapters back. But of course, back then it was the surrounding by Israelites and he was speaking like the good shepherd from Ezekiel, these people are uh, like the the harassed and helpless, sheep without a shepherd, and now he's saying the same thing, I don't want to send these people away either, I want to feed them. Christ who exercises the power of God alone, now orchestrates the situation in such a way that it then proceeds in the same way that that miracle happened with the Jews with a loaf and fish but now with the important variations. Verse 34, here's how it goes. How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Yes, this happened last time. Seven, they replied. So I've got a few more and a few small fish. Okay, similar. He told the crowd to sit down on the grounds. We don't have green grass now. We've just got ground, but he's the, sh- the shepherd for his people, but it's cool. They can sit on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave it to his disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, exactly the same words as last time. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000 men beside women and children, just a little bit less than the Jews. Make you wonder, are there going to be more eventually? Is is the Gospel going to go more to the Gentiles? Now, of course, last time, the amount of uh, 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 baskets we had was 12, kind of sounds like the 12 tribes of Israel, this time it's seven Seven, if you don't know, all throughout the scriptures is the number of completion. God finishes on the seventh, right? Jesus' ministry to the Jews will be completed as those crumbs filter out to the Gentiles. It's the same process today, by the way. Uh, The Apostle Paul would write much later on that when the full number of Gentiles has come in, that's another way of basically saying when Jesus returns, you'll also be able to say, look around and see there's a whole nation of of what you would call saved Israelites, select Israelites who are saved. That's Romans 11, it's a big topic for another day and it's a hobby horse of mine. Please ask me about that at morning tea, I'd be delighted. Anyway, it's the same process today. When the full number of Gentiles has come in, then you'll see Jesus' salvation complete, both for chosen Israelites and for those chosen from among the Gentiles. And given it's the same miracle, we're right to infer that the Gentiles get the same saving grace that the Jews do. Notice he doesn't say to these people, what you've really got to do is learn the law of Moses and if you're a male be circumcised and then sit down and I'll feed you. No, that's totally bypassed. Same miracle. You don't have to do any of that stuff, you've just got to know that I am who I am. And that's actually a key point, not only for this part of the Bible, but you see it borne out in so much of your New Testament. And once you, once you know it, you'll start seeing it more and more than you thought you ever, you ever would. In Jesus, all the blessings promised to Israel are made available to Gentiles, to, to non-Jews, to people from the nations. This small but very significant episode enforces this idea, but you will see it across the scriptures more and more. It ends in verse 39, after Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan, which, for the Bible nerds, is also called Magdala, which is also called Dalmanutha, I think. You can check that one on Google. Um, It's another way of saying that Jesus is progressing further back into Israelite territory to continue his mission to become the Messiah and Saviour of Israel in the knowledge that the Gospel will eventually go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and then to all the ends of the earth. Now, be honest, when I did that little imagination at the exercise, who felt a bit duped because she just read from the Bible that he doesn't say a word to her and you thought of all these things and as soon as I said, I came only for the lost sheep of Israel, he went, Uh, I should have thought of that to myself. Don't put up your hand; it's too embarrassing to be you. Anyway, Uh, it is actually a really big issue across the New Testament. And it will help your Bible reading. It'll it'll give you the Bible more, so to speak. If you have in mind when you read the Gospels and especially the Epistles, the the letters, especially Ephesians and um, 1 Peter... If you have in mind the relationship between the Jews who are fed from the Messiah, who know Jesus, and the Gentiles who are fed from him, as a matter of fact, in Galatians, that's also going to be a really big issue, and Paul Peter's going to get in trouble for getting it wrong. Once you have that in your mind, so much of the Scripture will be opened to you in a way that it wasn't previously. And it's helpful for a number of ways. One, it uh, it prevents narcissism. We love to read ourselves into the pages of Scripture. This is always about me. It's always about me. got news for you. You're not David, right? You're not the subject all the time. And that's actually really helpful just from the, the point of view of humility. But in terms of implications... I am rightly very much obligated, given this Word of God, to ask the question to those who may as yet not have come to know Israel's Messiah as your Lord, as your Messiah. And I get that that can be a hard thing if you're not yet someone who's in Christ, because This woman, her example sort of shows an extreme humility. I mean, she's sort of happy to refer to herself, in effect, as one of the dogs eating the crumbs, right? That's the level of humility that is required in order to come and receive the blessing from Israel's Christ. It is offensive, it is difficult. And this woman exemplifies the right way to approach Jesus, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, because of such humility. First of all, she recognises her desperate need. This is one of the biggest problems we have in a pseudo christianized wealthy Western culture. It is just so hard for people to recognise their desperate need for the grace and mercy and the power of God. We cannot help but think that we are basically, deep down, kind of good people, we haven't killed anyone, haven't done any terrible crime, so we kind of don't have this sense of desperation like a mother with a sick child would rightly have. It's just hard for us to get. But if you could somehow pull back the veneer and pull back the rich Western materialistic curtain and look at the heart and soul of every single individual who is not in Christ you see their depravity. Out of the heart come murder, adultery, sexual immorality and one of the worst things that you have in that heart is the inability to see its own evil. It's like the most insidious kind of disease, sin, because once you've got it, it makes you hard to realise how bad you've got it. But you are desperate and if you are not in Christ, your situation is even more desperate If you don't realise how desperate it is, it may be the case that Jesus returns tomorrow, that the full number of Gentiles and Jews has been secured for the kingdom and you will face God with a whole heart full of sin and you might not even know the God that you've lived in defiance of. That will be horrendous. Recognise your desperation and need. Obviously, you need to recognise the Lordship and the power of Jesus like this woman does. She knows that he can miraculously... Heal the daughter of the demonic possession. And it's actually true that all people outside the kingdom of Jesus are under the power of the prince of the ruler of the air, Ephesians chapter 2. That is Satan. You're not neutral and you're just like, oh, I'll choose to follow Satan or I'll choose to follow Jesus. That's a rubbish. You're either under the power of the deceiver, the serpent in the garden who gave the lie and stood behind the original sin, or you are in the dominion of the Son of God. You're in one or the other be transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Son. And the way to do that is to recognise that Jesus is Lord, not you, not anything else, but Jesus. And of course, you can't do any of that without extreme humility. If you can hear these offensive words and yet know they're true, then you can ask Jesus for the forgiveness that he went to the cross in order to achieve for you. If you can sit with that and go, yeah, like I'm a, a dog begging for crumbs under the master's table, spiritually speaking, that is my natural default position. If you've got that, praise God, because then your pride has been smashed enough in order for you to actually come to the truth. To know that jesus christ is lord and that he and he alone has the power the capacity to transfer you out of the dominion of darkness and into his glorious kingdom which to the praise of god has both jew and gentile as one people like the canaanite woman we should rejoice that jesus serves the sheep of israel first and it's precisely because god is faithful to his promises that we should want to eat those crumbs from under his table If you're not sure how to do that, how to come into the Kingdom of Jesus, in a little while, when Bertie tells you to scan the QR thing and go on that little link tree, put something like, I really want to know how to become a follower of Jesus. I think there's even a tick box there, have Ben or Jono contact me, that'd be fantastic. Lastly, and again, this is me biting off way more than I can chew, but I can do it because apparently I'm in charge now and Jono's not here. Um... What does this say more broadly about the Christian attitude towards Jews? Often we're not sure, I think, how to view Jewish people today. Uh, And as you can imagine, this is a great hobby horse of mine, so here's a couple of things in no particular order that I think it's really good as followers of Jesus for us to know. really big ticket item is that Gentiles do not need to become Jews in order to follow Jesus. Now, most of you are going like, yeah, of course. Yeah, read your New Testaments and that was one of the biggest difficulties and temptations. It's all, it stands behind why almost half the New Testament was written. You've got people that come out who are, you know, descendants of Abraham, who have trusted in Jesus as the Messiah, see the great unwashed, the great lot of Gentiles, and they say, you need to be circumcised. You need to obey the law of Moses. You see, you need to have works and religion, and then faith in Jesus Christ. That's the way to be saved, according to, to the... The Apostles, especially the Apostle Paul, rips his hair out of that. You do not need to somehow make yourselves obedient to the law of Moses, because guess what, you can't do it anyway. You definitely don't need to be circumcised, sigh of relief, fellas. You only need faith saving faith real faith in Jesus it's not Jesus plus a bunch of works it's not Jesus plus a bunch of religion it's Jesus alone the reformers gave us really really sort of helpful clarity on this point uh you're not saved because you go to church you know five weeks out of six I hope you do but that's not what saves you you're you're not saved if you come to church any more than standing in a garage makes your car right that's, Coming to church is not what does it It's faith and faith alone in Christ and Christ alone, who we know about from Scripture and Scripture alone, which is the glory of God alone. Second thing, as followers of Jesus, we really appreciate the heritage of the Jews. You see, to them was given the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and that actually forms the basis of, of the gospel and our salvation. Sometimes, if rarely, in our areas it's very rare, but you might, you never know, you might come across someone who says, oh no thanks, I don't, nothing to do with Jesus because I'm a Jew and you think, oh what am I going to say? See, you come across a Jew and I hope you do, say something like, that's wonderful, I love your heritage, I love what you've got in, in terms of your background because there's 80% of the Holy Scriptures that my God wrote and that I believe, right? That's really good. Uh, And it can be something that I think forms a good sort of evangelistic conversation starter, because the average Jew, and I can speak with authority here, has very little idea of what they're supposed to believe. The average Jew does not know the Old Testament. They can rattle off bits in Hebrew here and there. They've got some very vague idea, but just to give you an example, for the majority of people in my family, if I said, you know, what's the classic Old Testament Gospel? Isaiah 53, right? You know Isaiah 53, yeah? If you don't, look it up, it's a great read. It's, it's the John 316 in the Old Testament, right? And they'd say, what's that? And I'd have to say, well, there's a prophet in the Tanakh, which is the Old Testament, the Torah, and the prophet's called Isaiah, and there's chapters called, you know, the, the big numbers, and that's what it would be like. I don't know, just assume nothing. Number three, a sign of genuine Christianity is the love of Jews. A sign of genuine Christianity is a love of Jews. Here's what Paul says in his introduction to the letter to the Ephesians, which is actually a circular letter for Gentiles. For this reason, he says, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord, I do not cease to give thanks for you. No, Ben, you skipped a bit. Because I've heard of your faith in the Lord, which is all you need and it's the only thing that saves you, Paul will say that more than anyone else, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord and your love toward all the saints, which is a funny word for Jews who are believers in the first instance, because I saw that you guys love the Jews, that's how I know you're the real deal. That's why I don't stop giving thanks for you. You see, be very careful as I say this, don't misquote me, but Jews are hard to love, Now, anti-Semitism stings, it's evil, it's rotten. That's not what I'm on about. Jews are hard to love. You think about it. Different day off to everybody else. Different clothes to everybody else. Different washing ceremony to everybody else. Different food requirements to everybody else. Different holidays to everybody. You know what happens to people who are different? They just get pooped on and that's why throughout all the history of Israel, they pretty much, I mean, Hitler was a particularly bad example of it, but that's actually just, anti-Semitism has been real since Jews were real. Belief in one God, would you believe throughout heaps of human history and times and places, that made you a big loser. You only think there's one God, what's wrong with you? That's the attitude. It was revolutionary when God came and said, uh, Moses came and said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That was, that, that's a defining text for the people of God. Not easy to love the Jews. It's why in the first century you've got people like Peter hanging out with a church where there's Jews and Gentiles, but a few of the big head honchos come from Jerusalem. He's like, Well, better not eat with those Gentiles, better just go sit with my own. And Paul has a heart attack and he goes, You idiot. Christ abolished the divining wall of hostility by his blood, to make the the church to the praise of God. There's there's no other explanation that you guys are loving the Jews other than that Jesus is the Messiah who you love. Throughout history, the the church has done things that have actually been fairly horrible towards uh, ethnic Israelites, to the Jews. That's something we've got to acknowledge and repent of. It's it's unchristian. If you're a follower of Jesus, your God happens to be a Jewish man. Last sorry, second last, Jews are only saved through Jesus. Now, I hope that I'm preaching to the choir here, but you will hear ideas that float around that say, Jews are saved under the old covenant, we are saved by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a big fat lie. You know those famous words that a lot of you will know if you've been Christian for a while. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is no other name given to by which we must be saved, other than, of course, the name of Jesus Christ. Guess who was saying that? An apostle. Guess who he's speaking to? Jews, and exclusively Jews. So a Jewish rabbi gets up and says to a whole bunch of exclusive Jews, you cannot be saved except in the name of Jesus. To love Jews is to give them the gospel. It is not anti-Semitic, it is actually profoundly loving. They cannot be saved outside of Of their Messiah, who is also our Messiah. Uh, Which is why you might, last of all, want to consider supporting a Jewish evangelistic mission or organisation. For example, the only one that I know that's Reformed and Evangelical is called IMJP, the International Mission to the Jewish People. It used to be called CWI, Christian Witness to Israel. Yeah, you won't remember that, but IMJP, you can ask me about it. For better or for worse, I am now on the board for I am JP, which makes me laugh every time because why would they put this guy on the board for that? Um, There are other Jewish mission organisations, but I'm going to say this uh, more bluntly than I should. None of them are actually reformed and evangelical. I am JP is. You want to ask me more about that? Please do. But for now, let me include our time in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you For the Messiah of Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ, who on account of coming to those lost sheep of Israel, created a flow on effect where the blessings that were promised to your ancient and holy people were expanded and extended so that people from all nations, people from everywhere all over the world and down through time, can become co-heirs with Israel and co-heirs with Christ. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would uh, save us from the temptation to think that we need to become Pharisees or followers of the law of Moses in order to be legitimately Christian. We thank you that we have absolutely everything that we need in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that we have the circumcision that matters, the circumcision of the heart in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, please prevent us from thinking that we ever miss out on anything on account of being Gentile. Heavenly Father, we pray for those who are from ethnic Israel, who may be chosen, who we may come across. Please, Heavenly Father, give us great love for them as an expression of our love for our Jewish Messiah. And please give us words to say that will honour him and will challenge people to come into your kingdom. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.